Hey family, this is James Taylor, lead pastor of the Heavenly Vision Church, where it is our vision to reach, save, strengthen, and mature. I'm glad you could tune in to this podcast today. I pray that the word will be a blessing to you and help you move towards God's will. We honor you not just with our lips, but our hearts are near to the honor we have for you. And as we break open this text, God, I pray that what we speak, what, we, what I hear you speak, God, is only your words, God. Place the periods when I need to stop. Place the commas when I need to pause. Place the questions when I need to inquest. Pray, God, that your spirit falls on me and on your people because it's the same power. So while you have illuminated it for me, I pray that you do the same for them. Let this objective word be subjective for each individual person today. That what they hear your words say speaks so many volumes to each person as they need it. Thank you for your presence, not just your omniscience and your omnipresence, but Lord, your manifested presence. So God, even as we learn on the conference about change, let your kava come, Lord. That your presence that brings change. That we may never be the same, Lord. I pray the seed of your word goes into your people and it plants an amazing tree of fruit that can be ate from generations to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, let's jump right in. First Peter chapter 2. Just one verse today because uh, I want to honor Bishop if we can just stand. First Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read a little bit for context, and then I'm going to stop at verse, verse 17. I'm going to start at verse 13. A few more seconds to get it. I heard some pages turning. You can't hear an app turn off, so I hope you got on the Bible and not. Skip away from the ground for a minute. Verse 13, let's read. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but as living servants of God, here's our text. The focus 17 says, honor everyone, period. Love the brotherhood, period. Fear God, period. Honor the emperor, period. God, we thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may sit. So I want us to explore just one concept honor. We're in a new series, some new sermon series. The, uh, the pastoral team is embarking on this October. If you're ready for HB honors, make some noise. It's a time where we honor all of you who serve here at the kingdom of Heavenly Vision Church. So we're going to be focused on honor all this month. Some amazing speakers are coming and uh, I just was the one that got to be first. Yay. So um, 
I want to attack this from a perspective that's a, a theological uh, perspective that you may not have heard before. It's a term called hermeneutics. And it basically means that I'm going to attack the text from the way that God intended it to be understood. This particular type of hermeneutics, hermeneutics is called trajectory hermeneutics. What it does is it takes a topic from where God originally put it in the Bible, kind of pairs with another concept called the law of first mention, where the time things are mentioned the first time in the Bible, that's generally the way you should receive it or interpret it every time it's said thereafter. But what this approach does is it takes a trajectory from the topic that it seeks to approach, takes a trajectory throughout scripture, and it slowly shows how God was working to redeem that topic towards a better standard of the original intent. It also takes the time to explore what the present day was for that topic when it was originally introduced in the Bible. So this is a trajectory of honor. If I had to take a topic, just the trajectory of honor. Trajectory of honor. Somebody say honor. honor. So the root word in this text on verse 17, chapter 2 of 1 Peter, honor everyone. That honor is traced back to the word teme in the Greek. It has two distinct definitions, but one of them I want to focus on first. It means a value, a valuing by which the price is fixed. It can also be a valuing of the price itself. It could also be a valuing of the price paid or received for a person or thing bought or sold. That's going to be important later. Second definition says an honor which belongs or is shown to one. An honor which one has by reason of rank and state of office which he holds, which can get scary. We know who 45 is. Amen. So this to me, this word honor to me basically speaks to the value of a thing or a person. In the context that Peter's using here, he's mainly speaking to figures of authority. But where we can take this for us today is it's not just authority because the first thing he said was honor everyone. So he wants us to make sure that we not only honor those who may rule the land, but he wants to make sure that we know to honor our fellow man. In terms of the, what honor is meant to be, it isn't to say that we have to focus on one way, but it is to say that what honor does is as we're talking, we're talking about trajectory now. What honor does is, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. Thank you, Lord. It takes you to a place where it sees where it will grow to. In terms of what honor is meant to do, it's meant to be planted. But then after it's planted, you, will sh you should see some sort of fruit from that honor. If I say to my sister, hey, I honor you. You're great. I love you. I love your soul. I love your life. Mama Lucy, I love you. You're a wonderful mother, wonderful woman of God. You're great. That honor is a seed. And from there, it's planted in her. And it's taken not just from her life, but what honor does is it has a tendency to create happiness, joy. And that seed of joy from the honor that was planted takes it from her life and shares it with whomever she's around. Sometimes she doesn't even have to say a word. 
If I tell you that you're honored and then you take that from, say, oh, 9 a.m. that morning and you use that moment that I've given a boost to you throughout your entire work day, your lunch break, your commute from place to place, wherever you go, someone is going to see there's something different about your day. That may have not been there the day before, may not be there the next day, but if it's true honor, it lingers. It lingers. I'll tell you a story. Let's just answer a question. I want us to first think about what is dishonor. Thank you, Mama Janice. We can't really talk about honor unless we understand dishonor. Tuesday had to be about maybe, what, 2.45 or so. I'm leaving work on my lunch break, waiting on Remy to come and get me. That's my wife. And uh, I'm sitting at the chair, like, out under a tree, and I'm just twiddling on my phone. I don't know, probably playing a game, catching up on texts or something. And I see a man afar off. He's getting ready to go into the store where I work. And normally this gentleman, he's, I see him every day, almost every day. He is, let's call him a lowly person. Um, when I see him, he always makes a point just to come and see, come and see me, say hi, and we just may end up talking for about 40, 45 minutes. I'm at work. I can't necessarily spend that much time to talk to, even if it's just talking about music. But one of the things that I discovered is there's a reason for him wanting to just have conversation. This day, I'm sitting at the bench. I'm just chilling. I'm not necessarily trying to get anything done. I'm just relaxing. I see him afar off. He's going to go in the building. He spots me. You ever been in a situation where you don't want to be bothered? Like, I'm chilling. I'm cool. I'm just, I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. Leave me alone. I'm all right. I don't even want your high. I know that sounds harsh, but sometimes you just want to be left alone. Nothing wrong. There's nothing bothering me. I'm in good spirits, but I don't want no company. I don't need you to join my joy today. I'm just, I'm good by myself. I don't need the company. I don't even need the hello. You know, I see you. So I see the gentleman, and I put my head down. I'm looking. I hope he don't see me. You know, you don't want nobody to see you. I don't want him to see me because not only do I know he's going to want to talk, but he's going to want to talk for a while. And immediately the Holy Spirit convicted me. Now, by this time, Sunday after Sunday evening, I think it was Sunday evening, uh, Bishop had told me, hey, you're going to be preaching. And he gave me the topic. And Tuesday, this happens. While he's going in the store, yes, he spots me. We make eye contact. I'm like, oh, I ain't got time. I'm waiting on the wife. I want to get out of here. So as the day would go on, he's coming, walking over to me. God immediately convicts me. He says, is this honor? Is this honor? When a man gets over to me, he shakes my hand, says one of the most profound things I've heard all week. He comes over, he shakes my hand. Stand up, Dave. No, sit down. I'm sorry. He comes over, he shakes my hand. He says, hey, man, I just want to pay my respects. He wasn't after anything that day. He didn't want to have conversation. I just want to pay my respects. He didn't necessarily have more than a hello. He didn't even salute me in the terms of a hello or a hi or what's up, bro, or none of that. How you doing, dog? No. I just want to pay my respects. I just want to honor you. 
I've known this guy for decades, off and on. I've seen him. He's a fellow musician. I've seen him play for several people on television and movies and things like that. And, you know, he's done a lot in his life. And for him to just want to honor me, no matter what state he's in right now, I should consider that an honor in itself. The conviction comes when you don't necessarily say to yourself, I'm okay without being bothered, and then ignore someone wanting to address you. The conviction comes when you get in the situation where now you're faced with dealing with your own feelings behind what it is someone simply wants to give you. It isn't a hello. It isn't a hi. They just want to honor you. Point number one, if you're taking notes, the simplest form of honor is acknowledgement. Just acknowledge me. You don't need to give me a rundown of how much you know about what I've done. You don't need to praise me for it to be honor in its simplest form. The simplest form is acknowledgement. Just see me in the room and let me know I'm noticed. Just see me sitting there and then let me know I'm observed. Because how many of you know, if you never be in a position where, if you've ever been in a situation where you can be around people and it's a multitude, like this, we got about maybe 100 people here today, praise the Lord, but you can feel like there's no one in there but yourself. And it isn't necessarily your fault entirely if the people around you don't act on the conviction of God to just simply acknowledge your presence. We don't know, and this is why we have to minister to each other when we come in this house, because as the doorkeepers are sitting, as we don't know, Bishop said this last week, we don't know who it is we're sitting next to. Take a minute and just honor them for being here. Acknowledge them. That's all it takes. Simplest form of honor is acknowledgement. Talking about the trajectory of honor. Somebody say honor. Dishonor is when you choose not to allow someone to even honor you. If I say to you, I don't want your honor, it may not be those verbatim, it may not be that exact sentence. But if you don't want my attention, and all I want to do is give you something nice, what does that say about my character? Do I even deserve the honor that you want to give me? And even though I'm fighting, feeling like I don't want any attention, because see, here's the deal. If I'm hostile towards your acknowledgement, how hard will it be for me to acknowledge God? We learned during this week, and I'm going to move fast here. We learned during this week, we're talking about Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Gideon was talking to God, and God tells him, hey, you're going to free your people with your mighty hand, oh, mighty man of valor. And he says to God, I'm the weakest of my clan, and I'm the weakest in my family. I come from a weak people. And he goes on to say, I need a sign. Show me by fire. Show me as you. Show me as by fire. He's talking to God and wants a sign. He's talking to God 
and wants a sign from God that he's God. How hard is it to acknowledge God when we have no honor for the people around us? Not only did he call them weak, and maybe he was correct, but he did not have a single drop of honor for his own people. And it took him very much a challenge in not just what he believed, but see, God indulged him, gave him the fire. Like, okay, here you go, fine. Because God's big enough to handle our frustration. But more importantly, if he was never in a position to hear God's voice, then it would be hard-pressed for him to know that his will, that God's will for his life was something bigger than the lack of acknowledgement he had for himself or his people. Let's move on. Simplest form of honor is acknowledgement. So, if I'm not acknowledging you, that's the simplest form of dishonor. One sense of it. We'll learn more as we move on. Let's go. Point number two. Most complex form of honor is forced. It's forced. So, Tuesday happened. Okay, Lord, I hear you. Thank you. I'm convicted. Honesty, honor. Honor everyone. All right. Wednesday, we go on the plane. We go to Texas. We get ready for the conference. Thursday happens. We're hanging out with some friends of my wife's, mutual friends of ours. We want to go to the state fair. We go to the state fair. We get to the state grounds, the fairgrounds. Pay $20 to get in to park our car. We go to the, to the facilities. We leave the facilities. We take the stroller. We turn a corner to go buy our ticket. Somewhere in that time, a, my wife's phone drops, falls on the ground. I see a man running from my blind spot dashing away past me. He runs to a car, obviously. He's in a parking lot. He's running to a car. My wife's like, where's my phone? I don't know. I thought you would like to touch it. I think I've seen it over here. No, it's not on the stroller no more. Where'd it go? We look on the ground. We find it. No, we didn't see it. Okay, so then it's lost. So we go to the ticket booth. We say, hey, we didn't get a ticket. Uh, Can we get our money back? He said, well, I can't give you your money back. I'll let you back in. We talked to the police. They said, no, uh, we can't leave and help you go because we have to be assigned here. Maybe if you can find it with the tracking, then maybe we can meet you there. Guy turns off the phone, la-da-da-da-da-da. We find out that he's getting ready to leave, go home because we're tracking the phone. He's on the freeway. That phone's gone. Phone's gone. You know how frustrating it is to lose a phone. And see, I'm, you know, I'm one of these real husbands. We got a heavenly vision. You can mess with me. I'm good. I can take it. But you mess with my wife and my kids, I'm, I'm, I'm turning to the Credible Hulk or something. I'm just, you think this little, little brother, no. Rip some shreds on this road, brother. Mess with me. Mess with my wife and my kid now. So I'm, I'm, I calm myself down. My wife is just beautiful at making sure I'm at peace. We decide to just let it count as a loss. We went to T-Mobile. I had to buy her another phone. Bought her another phone, depleted my funds for the fun trip we were in. Long story short, we get in the car, if it's not too late for the long story short. We get in the car, and my wife says a prayer. She said, let's pray. And I said, yes, ma'am, let's pray. Grabs my hand, because I'm more frustrated than she is. Somehow she has peace, but it's her phone. Um, We pray a prayer. My wife is an amazing 
prayer warrior. I thank God for who, she, who he gave me. He said, she says in this prayer, listen, listen, this is what she says. She says, God, have mercy on him, but don't let him lose sight of the error of his ways. She says, we know that you said in your word, touch not my anointed. And then she says, let every action that has come upon him that is unfavorable for his life be traced back to when he stole this phone. We finish the prayer, we go hang out with friends. Three hours later, we're discussing it, just kind of getting over today, trying to make the best of it. We got a new phone, so everything's okay. Three hours later, I get a text on my phone. I have your phone from the parking lot of the state fair. You can come and get it. I'm in Arlington. So, okay. Thank you, Lord. Are you giving it back to me because we blocked it? And you can't use it? Well, whatever. Nevertheless, God be praised. I go get the phone. Now I'm stuck with a decision to keep that phone or not keep that phone, blah, 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 blah. One of the things that happened in this entire ordeal of a day for, for me on Thursday was I realized that not, not intentionally, but through this situation, if you choose not to honor someone that God has honored, you will be forced to honor them. Forced. You don't believe me? It's in scripture. Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That's honor. That Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. To the honor of the Father. If you don't honor who God has honored, you will. If you don't honor who God has honored, you will. You will. You'll be forced to. I don't want to be forced to honor no man. No man. Let me say it this way. Even the people who hold office. Okay, well. Even the people who hold office. Because Peter was making this contextual statement on authority figures. He wasn't just talking about the fellow man, the citizenship of the people. He was talking about, contextually speaking, he was talking about people who are in authority. He says that because he's talking about, even in verse 14, he says people that are, uh, the governor sent by him to praise those who are good and curse those who are bad. Those are the people who govern the land. We are to honor them too. The people we don't like in office. Remember, don't think it hard because the simplest form of acknowledgement. Nobody said you had to praise anyone in this sense. That's something different. That's totally different than honoring them. Praising someone is complimentary. Honor is deserving. So if I tell you you have on nice shoes, I'm praising your attire. If I tell you your walk is consistent with God, 
you are deserving of that because of who you are to God. It's not just saying that they're good at what they do. Because that's not necessarily honoring them. See, the Western language is very weak. It's one of the youngest languages in all of civilization. Very weak. A word like honor had several, I think it was around 20 different translations. Love has five or so different translations. Because the English language is not just derived from one language. It's Greek, it's Hebrew, it's Latin, it's Spanish. Several different languages make up this American English, which is one of the weakest languages in the world. So it's hard for us to understand things like honor in the sense of its strongest tenor simply because the way we deal with honor can be a bit loose. Can be a bit loose. If you can, uh, thank God for the media team, can you pull up that, uh, that image that I have? Honor can be a bit loose. Remember, we're talking about the trajectory of honor. This is what I call the regular, what was it, what did I call it? It's the regularity of honor in language from the period of about 1500 A.D., to about 2008. What you see here is two different lines. There's two different graphs on the line. There's a green line, there's a red line. I'm trying to move fast, but I want to make sure I get everything that God wants me to say. The red line speaks to honor with a lowercase h. The green line speaks of honor with a capital H. Both of these show honor, but take a look at this, this huge uprising of honor between the period of 1500-1600. All of a sudden, honors use more in the human language. Everybody's using honor more. If you look at the, 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 the right side of the screen, if you, you, we all know how to read a graph. If we don't, this is how you do it. The bottom line, the vertical line, that's a timeline. The top line is basically a graph on how much a certain thing is used in that time. So if you see the percentage on the side, it goes to about a millionth of a percent or a ten-thousandth of a percent. The highest is about just 1.2%. So this time period shows the highest peak of honor, which is about 0.01%. 0.01%. That basically means that every hundred words, honor was one. Every time somebody spoke within, every, within 50 years, of that time frame, every hundred words was honor. And it was so much so during that time. And the graph can be spanned farther out and further in, but I, I narrowed it down here for one reason. Why would it be that honor shown so much here and not necessarily so much there? Some a little bit in 1815, there's a reason for that as well. I can't get into that today. But in this period right in here with this giant, giant just incline of honor, there's one reason for that. In about 1517, there's a man named Martin Luther. Martin Luther was in the Roman Catholic Church. And at this time, basically, he was one of the priests there. And he wrote something called the 95 Thesis. What it did is basically it challenged all of the papacy against what they were doing at the time. They were doing a few things. Number one, they were buying and selling uh, salvation. 
using something called indulgences. So you can buy your way to heaven. Come on. So 95 Thesis basically is, is stapled to the temple door, and it challenges everything that they're doing, among other things. So much other stuff is going on at the time. Not just the papacies uh, 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 laundering and, and racketeering, but also King Henry VIII. He wanted to divorce his wife, but the, the Catholic Church says, no, we don't honor divorce. He did it anyway. He kept trying to find an heir, another son. He had all these daughters. One of his sons got Down syndrome and just unfortunate things, and he didn't like that, so he wants to marry another one. Another, another, another. Just so much is going on at the time for the people of the land not to have any sight of what honor is. And so Martin Luther, he staples his 95 Thesis to the temple doors, and it basically explains that not just is what they're doing wrong, but this is the right way. Salvation is not earned. It's given. He says that it's not by works, lest any man should boast. That's what the Bible says. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Once word of this thesis spread across the land, had to take about maybe 20, 25 years. The Roman Empire is pretty big. All of a sudden, people started realizing how to honor one another again. And it wasn't to say that they didn't honor anyone before, but the language was so vague because of what the church was doing at the time. So if we can learn anything from this incident, from this instance, it's that honor is in the hands of the church. True honor is in the hands of the church, not necessarily those outside of the kingdom of God. They can't honor, and the reason why is because if I honor a person, it's honoring God because it's his creation. So I don't even have to know you to say, hey, man, I know you. I don't know you, but I honor you. I'm honoring God's creation. So by honoring my fellow man, I'm honoring God. But in this instance, it is to say that the honor, the essence of honor is in the church. It has to be here. And this is what Jesus was trying to do when he was here place honor back into the church. And I'm wrapping up here. Basically, he took the time to use his life as a seed of honor for the entire human race. See, honor is one of the, honor is one of the words in describing God that is what we would call feminine in the Eastern world. It's a feminine word. And that is to say some words are masculine some words are feminine. American English doesn't have this. French does, Spanish does, other languages. But it denotes a particular type of tenor and tone. So honor being a feminine word, really un you really get an understanding of looking at it this way. Anything that's feminine that God's created produces after its kind. So if honor is a feminine word, it should produce Again and again and again. And all it takes is one seed of honor. All it takes is me telling my wife, I honor you. Telling my child, my children, my son, my daughter, my mother, my, my mother, my father, that I honor them. And those are seeds. Jesus' life was just like that. He came to present honor again. Because it's like a seed. The seeds... Seeds have a cycle. They have a life cycle. They go on the ground. They germinate. They sprout. They have a seedling. They bear fruit. They pollinate. Jesus' life did the exact same thing. If you start with Calvary, 
he was sewn into the ground in a borrowed potted plant for three days, germinated in death and in hell and in the grave. After the third day, he rises like a sproutling. Mary takes that sproutling back to the disciples. Jesus comes back to the disciples and proves the seedling of this honor to the entire discipleship of his following. He goes to heaven because his work's not done. He says, go therefore to all the world, teaching them whatever I've said. That's the pollination stage. You're going to take what I have and spread it across the world. But he made sure that it wasn't just whatever you wanted. He made sure his DNA was with it. He said, lo, I am with you always, even until the ends of the earth. Every time we speak a word of honor, we are reigniting what God did on Calvary. Anytime he says to us, honor that man, honor that woman, you are reigniting what God did through Jesus Christ on Calvary during this death during the burial, during the resurrection. Because anytime he wants to use you, he needs to know there's honor in you to give to others. If you wonder why you're not being used, check your honor level. Where in our lives are we not honoring people? Because anytime things need to be honored, it has to come from the church. If you don't like the way this system is ran, with our country, the church has to show more honor. If you don't like the way things are done on your job, show more honor. Be honorable to those employees that don't necessarily care about your well-being, don't necessarily like you. It's not your job to like them, but you are charged to honor them. Simplest form of honor, acknowledgement. That's it. Most complex form of honor is forced. Don't be forced. Amen? Let's pray. God, we honor you. We thank you. We not just honor you with the word honor, but we understand that there is no value we can place on you. How much we honor you can't be appraised. It can't have a value placed on it. There's no way we can measure the honor that we have for you in this body. As weak and as finite as it is, all we can do is give you as much honor as this body can muster until it's returned to the earth. And I pray that as we leave here, Lord, every time we remember that all we have to do is acknowledge someone, we are putting ourselves in a position for you to use us greater than we've ever realized. Because any time we realize you want to honor us, we have to realize that you want us to honor others. So bless us to honor better. Let us look more like the trajectory that you set in place for honor. In Jesus' name. Were you blessed by the message you just heard? If so, please leave a review so others can glean from the lessons you learned. And if you would like to help us continue ministry, 
Feel free to give at HVCLA.com. We love you, family.